Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Open today in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Saw a video recently, Q&A sort of time with a Canadian philosopher and professor that gained some notoriety through some of the gender debates in Canada. His name is Jordan Peterson, and he's talking about Christianity with another interviewer. And the interviewer was pressing Dr. Peterson on whether he was a Christian or not, and if you know Dr. Peterson and listen to his lectures, he, he sort of talks around himself and never quite says anything. But he's talking, he's, he's talking about Christianity and the Bible, and the interviewer says something to the extent of, you know, if you mean Christianity like, like the teachings of Jesus, or do you mean, like, and he, he goes into this little sort of tirade, these people down south, this, these kind of Christians that actually believe that that Jesus, you know, died and rose again and is actually going to come back. And, and he presented this as, if, as some sort of far-out, extreme, radical view for Christians. But in our statement of faith, as a Christian church from the very beginning, in the ancient creeds, we confess he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. And if we do not have that central doctrine of who we are, the second coming of Christ, then we don't have a gospel, and we are in a false church. The historic Orthodox Christian faith has always taught and still teaches that crazy idea that one day Jesus will return, as our statement says, personally and visibly. And I wonder if that's a certainty for you today. Is that a certainty? Is that an absolute for your faith today? Do you find that comforting this morning to think of the return of Christ? Or maybe today you find that thought frightening. Wait, Jesus is actually coming back to judge me, to judge the living and the dead? Yes, do you find that frightening? Are you unsure about what that means for you? Maybe you're confused about the timing and what it all means for what's going on right now in the world. The Bible calls this the blessed hope for the believer. That the return of Christ for those who are in Christ is a blessed hope. Something that we long for because Christ's coming for the believer means peace, salvation, deliverance, and joy. Whereas for unbelievers, maybe even in this room here today, it is a warning. It is not a blessed hope, but it's a warning of Christ's coming wrath, his judgment on sin, condemnation. 
And so the question for you this morning is, where do you find yourself? Are you a little back and forth with your faith? Do you call yourself a believer? Do you say, no, I'm definitely not a believer? Maybe I'm searching, I'm questioning, I'm a skeptic. Wherever you are on the spectrum today, the return of Christ brings one of two realities. Either it is a blessed hope for you, or it is a sign of warning and judgment. Look at what the Apostle John records in the book of Revelation. We read it earlier, verse 7, just the one verse. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. There's some central truths I want to talk about today regarding the second coming of Christ. Four simple points. Number one, every eye will see him. Number two, every body will be raised. And I did make it two words on purpose. We'll get to that. Number three, every heart will be judged. And number four, everything will be new. Let's begin there at number one, every eye will see him. I was talking with the staff this week, I sort of like to read uh, about characters from church history, little character sketches. They don't like it, but I do, so I read it to them anyway. And so we were, we were reading about William Miller and the Millerite movement in the middle 1800s, the birth of what we call Adventism. You might be more familiar with just Seventh-day Adventism. And, and William Miller famously uh, put the date of Christ's return on the calendar for a certain day, and people sold farms, sold businesses, and all went together in New York for the return of Christ, which, of course, did not transpire. And that day became known as the Great Disappointment. But Adventists still live on today, very much concerned with Christ's coming, his second advent. And regardless of what William Miller may or may not have learned, or his followers may or may not have learned, many people today also tried to pinpoint the timing of the coming of Christ using supposed prophetic signs or charts or some sort of numerology or putting pieces together in world history and what's going on in the world right now. And we say, ah, th this is the time. This is when it's going to happen. Or maybe it's just a season. Or maybe they're foolish enough to actually set a date or a time. We should remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 23. I think it has some ramifications for this. When he said, when people say, look, there is the Christ. Or look, here is the Christ. Or come with me, I found the Christ. Now Jesus is talking about false prophets and false Christ. But I think it could also apply to those who say, look, here is his coming. Look, here is the day of his coming. Or maybe he's come secretly and we didn't know about it. Maybe he came invisibly and it's already happened and we're kind of just catching up as some of the Adventists claimed very early on. We should heed Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 36, a few verses later when he says famously, no man knows the day or the hour. Interestingly enough, and there's too much theology here for us to unpack in this setting, not even the Son knows, but only the Father. Not even Jesus, according to his humanity, knew the day or the hour of his return. And you think that would be clear. But alas, we have prophet after prophet after preacher after teacher that says, no, this is it. Here it comes. Blood red moons and fasts and, and wars and all the things that we look at in the world. We say, this has got to be the day. This has got to be the season. Can it not be sufficient for us to simply say that Christ's return is imminent? Christ's return is imminent. That word means ready. It's prepared. 
It's soon. It's about to happen. We can say that with confidence because according to Scripture, there's nothing else we are waiting on to transpire. Nothing else we are waiting on to take place before the return of Jesus. And so you say, oh, wait a minute, Pastor. Does that mean we're in the last days? I can confidently tell you that we are in the last days. And we have been in the last days since the ascension of Christ and the descent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We have been in those last days and we are in them today. And Jesus is coming soon. That's been the church's call from the very beginning. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is coming soon. We must be ready. We must be waiting. We must be longing for that day. Listen. Because even though we might not know when Jesus will return, we will know when Jesus returns. Even though we might not know when he will return, we will know when he returns. Because the Bible says here, every eye will see him. Even those that pierced him, he goes on to say. You know what that means? Believers and unbelievers. Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, every single person who has ever taken the breath of life, every eye will see him when he returns. The Bible presents us with no secret, hidden return of the Lord, unbeknownst to anyone. You will not find that in the scripture, some secret, mysterious, hidden return of the Lord. No, but 1 Thessalonians 4.16 tells us he will return with the cry of command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of the Lord will sound. Does that sound secret to you? It doesn't sound secret to me. It seems like we have a triple threat going on there that says when Jesus returns, every person will know. Famous hymn we sing around Advent time, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, says, Every eye shall now behold him, robed in dreadful majesty. Those who set at naught and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree. Deeply wailing, deeply wailing shall their true Messiah see. Our own statement of faith that we said this morning, God in his own time and his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end and Jesus will return visibly and personally. Maybe you'd like some more contemporary Christian lyrics. You know this one from good old Sandy Patty in the 1980s, maybe 1990s. The sky will unfold. The stars will applaud. And we shall behold him. Then face to face. Some rejoicing to see their Savior and their Lord. Others, even as it says here in Revelation 1-7, wailing as they see their judge. The question for you here today is what will your eyes see on that day? Will you see the coming of your salvation, the coming of your deliverance? Or will you see your certain condemnation? Will you see the one in whose wounds you have found refuge from your sins? Or will you see the one for whose wounds you will now be held accountable? Number two, everybody will be raised. A word document kept trying to make me want to say everybody. And I know it means the same thing, but this just looks more appropriate to me for what I'm saying. Everybody will be raised. 
One of the most misunderstood and I think sadly forgotten truths of the Christian faith is the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body, but it's central to our faith. We confess it in our statement of faith, in all the ancient statements of faith, that Jesus will return and the dead will be raised. We read it just today in the Baptist faith and message. But somewhere along the way, we Christians have become content to die. To become content to die, leave the body behind, and just simply go to heaven. We sing it, don't we? Like a bird from prison bars has flown, I'll fly away. As if that's the end of the story. We die, we go to heaven, and that's it, right? No, the Bible presents us with so much more. Because from the beginning, God created us physical, spiritual creatures. Body, soul body, spirit, however you want to delineate those divisions, God made us physical and spiritual, material and immaterial. And in that combination of those things, that's what God said it is good about. That is good. And so when death comes and there's a severing there, it's as if God would say that is not good. That is not the way it should be. And on that day of resurrection, when Christ returns, there will be a great repair of what has been severed by sin. There will be a coming together of our body and our spirit in what we call our glorified, eternal body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 13, I want you to watch the the, the wording on this. 1 Corinthians 15, 13, that if we are not raised then not even Christ has been raised. Now, it would make sense for us to say, if Jesus isn't raised, then we won't be raised. And that's what we're kind of reading that as, right? Well, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we won't rise from the dead. And that's true. But what does Paul say? He kind of switches it, doesn't he? If we will not be raised, then not even Christ has been raised. Jesus' resurrection certainly brings about our resurrection. And Paul says those are inextricably linked. Without Jesus' resurrection, we do not rise. And if we are not raised, then Jesus was not raised. Yet many people, Christians, speak as if death is it. We go to heaven. We're with God in our spirits. And surely Paul says to die is gain. That's absolutely correct. But is that it? Paul takes us further there in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to turn that. It'll be on the screen for you. But 1 Corinthians 15, listen to what Paul says in verses 50 through 57. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now watch the language. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then it shall come to pass. Then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On that day, then it will be said. When? 
When Jesus returns, the trumpet sounds, and we are raised from the dead. Then it will be said, death is swallowed up in victory. When the cry of command comes, when the voice of the archangel sounds, the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ are raised. This is the result of Christ's return. I want to tell you this morning, there is much comfort in the passing of a loved one who knew Jesus. And surely Paul tells us to die or to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not trying to diminish the joy that believers have when they die and our soul slash spirit is in the presence of the Lord. I'm not trying to diminish that at all. Suffice it to say that that is not the end of the story. There is yet more victory coming. So don't settle for a merely spiritual existence in some cloudy heaven when you die. Look to the promise of the resurrection. Think about the resurrection of Jesus, who died as a man, was buried as a man, and who rose again from the dead with his glorified human body. We've got to be careful here, because it's the Jehovah's Witnesses, we talked about them Wednesday, that claim Jesus was raised as some sort of spirit creature. The Christian church has always proclaimed that Jesus, perfectly God, became man, lived, died, was buried, and rose again, not just as some spirit creature, or just in his divinity, but with his human nature intact, although now glorified. And if that's the truth for Jesus, Paul says that will be the truth for you. That when you die, and on that day of resurrection, you too will be raised as Jesus was raised. That's why he is called the firstfruits of those who will be raised from the dead. Death is not your resurrection. Death is not the end. There is more coming. Coming in the winter, we're going to go through a Wednesday night series based on uh, Randy Alcorn's book and study guide, uh, Heaven, just called Heaven. We're going to talk about Heaven for about nine or ten weeks. Uh, Just a few little misnomers and, and misunderstandings we need to correct very quickly, and I don't have time to spend a lot of time here. When Christians die, they don't become angels. Okay. We don't get wings. We don't become, that's a separate created order altogether. When Christians die, we don't become angels. When Christians die, we don't receive our glorified body then. The glorified body comes at the time of resurrection. And so it's important for us to understand these biblical truths when we come to funerals, we talk about death, and we comfort each other. Let's make sure we're comforting each other with scriptural truth. Join us in the winter. We're going to talk about all that stuff when we talk about heaven together. But every body will be raised. Number three, though, every heart will be judged. To say that Christians will be raised is not to say that unbelievers will be left. No, as I said, every body, believers and unbelievers. Our statement of faith says the unrighteous will be raised and the righteous will be raised. And we will all face God in judgment. What will the criteria for that judgment be? Romans chapter 2 verse 6. Paul says that he will render to each one according to what he has done. He will render to each one according to his works. So if God holds sinful humanity responsible and he holds us in judgment to our works and to what we have done, what will the verdict be? Well, Paul goes on in Romans 3.23 to say famously, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And if God will render to each one according to what he has done, and all have sinned and fallen short of his glory, then also equally famously, Romans 6.23 is also true, that what we deserve, the wages of that sin is death. What a terrifying prospect for us sinners to stand before a holy God in judgment for what we've done. Yet that is exactly what the Bible says that day will be. A day of judgment in which wages are dispersed according to what you have done. And then Paul says, well, if you think to yourself for a moment, well, then I might be pretty good off because I've done pretty well. All have sinned. And the wages of that sin for every person is death. What a terrifying prospect for us sinners. Revelation 20 verse 12 goes on to say that John sees the resurrection. He sees the land and the sea give up their dead. But in Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 he says as the land and the sea give up their dead, believers and unbelievers, it says that the books are open. Revelation 20 verse 12. That the books are opened and everyone is judged according to what they have done. So the question for you this morning is how do you measure up against the perfect holiness and purity of God? Where do you stand in the scales this morning with perfection? If the standard is perfection and absolute holiness and righteousness, where do you fall? This is the heart of the gospel. That although that is the reality, those are the wages we deserve for our sin. There's no way out. God has provided a covering, an atonement, the judgment that you and I deserve rightly because of our sin has been given to another. And in Romans 3.25, God says that he has put forward Christ. He has put him forward as a propitiation. Now that's just a big word that means a substitutionary, atoning sacrifice. That what you deserved, he has put someone else in the place of it. The judgment that was yours is placed on him. And the good news of the gospel is that if you receive him in faith, though the sin that was yours is laid on him, the righteousness that is his is given to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, judged it, killed it in Christ, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Jesus is coming to judge. And James says in James 2.13 that that judgment will be without mercy. The judgment on that day will be true and honest and without mercy, as we would expect from a good, honest, pure, holy judge. So what would your verdict be? If you stood before him right now, what would your verdict be? Guilty? We would all say guilty. But could you go on to say, but justified in Christ? You will be judged by your works, but you can be justified alone by Christ's work. Faith alone, receiving what he has done on your behalf. 
And so all the sec- although the second coming comes as a warning to you unbelievers today, there's also an invitation there. That the second coming has not happened yet. The judgment has not come yet. And until that yet arrives, there is still yet time to come to Christ and find salvation and justification in him. So that on that day, you may greet him as your judge, but also your friend and your savior and your redeemer. Number four, lastly, everything will be new. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, we see these words from God to the Apostle John. Behold, he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write down these words, for they are trustworthy and true. The promise of the second coming, as with our bodies that will be glorified, brings with it a glorified creation. The book of Revelation says there will be a new heavens and there will be a new earth and a new Jerusalem. In fact, all things will be made new. And of that day, Paul says in Romans 8, 19, all creation with us, all creation along with us is groaning, eagerly longing for that day of redemption when all things will be made new. All creation is longing for that day and looking forward to that day and groaning for that day. As you come to the end of the book of Revelation, you begin to notice something very familiar. That it ends in a similar setting as it all began. It began in the garden with a tree and a rebellious fall that plunged us into the curse of sin and death and hell. But as you come to the end of Revelation, you see we end in a different garden, a new earth. And there's also a tree. But instead of a rebellious fall, we see a victorious Savior that brings us life and peace and glory. Look at what the Apostle John sees in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. The angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp nor sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. What a beautiful picture of forever. The Apostle John says something similar in 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. He says, what we will be, we don't know. But this is what we know about that day. We will be like him. Notice this. Because we will see him 
as he is. You see that? Here is the cause of everything becoming new. Here is the tool, the agent, the means by which God makes all things new. What is it when we see the face of Jesus? All creation will be changed. We will be made like him because we will see him. Famous Great Awakening preacher Jonathan Edwards called this the, uh, oh Lord, it just left me. (laughs) He called this the, where is it? Where's the words I'm looking for? That's why you don't add to your notes when you're in the middle of preaching. He called it a really good thing. When, (laughs) that's good, right? I coined that. When we at last see the face of Jesus, that on that day when he returns and we behold him in his glory, we are made like him because we see him as he is, and all things are transformed by his face. Maybe I can't quote Jonathan Edwards this morning, but I can quote Vestal Goodman. Who said, then at last, then at last we will see the face of Jesus, before whose image other loves all flee. Southern gospel music gives us some good lines here and there, doesn't it? Then at last we'll see the face of Jesus, before whose image other loves all flee. The question for you today, do you long to see the face of Jesus? Don't you groan for that day, believers, when it's all done, when you can lay those heavy burdens down, the burden of sin and temptation and conflict, the burdens of sin and sickness and pain and suffering and death, when at last you see your Savior face to face. Another great hymn says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold that city. Until the day God calls me home. Do you know that joy? Do you know that peace? That assurance? Or does this prospect frighten you this morning? In your heart, even as I'm talking right now, ask yourself the question, where do you stand with Jesus? And the follow-up question, are you ready for that day? If he came back right now, which he certainly could, would you be prepared to meet him? Would you greet him as your savior and your friend or merely your judge? And you say, well, pastor, how can I know that? Simple. Have you received him by faith and repentance? Have you trusted in his work for your salvation so that you can know forgiveness of sins, peace with God, and joy forever? Are you trusting him in this very moment for your salvation? As the Bible tells us, Jesus says, keep your lamps Lit, keep them trimmed as the choir sings every once in a while. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. He is coming. And every eye will see him. Every body will be raised. Every heart will be judged. And everything will be new. And we say with the hymn writer, Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. 
The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul this morning? Here at the end, the Lord graciously reminded me of what it's called. Maybe on purpose. It's called the beatific vision. That moment when the scales of sin and the world and suffering are all fallen off. And with our glorified eyes and a glorified kingdom, we behold our Savior face to face. Is that day one that you're waiting on? No, that you can't wait for. If you're a believer here today, you know that longing. You know that sense of expectation. But if you're not a believer, maybe it does fill you with dread. Today can be the day that you know by trusting in Christ, turning away from yourself and trusting in what he has done for you. Today can be the day that you know peace with him. So that that day might be for you a day of blessed as we come to the Lord's table today, we're reminded of something in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that as we take the bread and the juice, Paul says something interesting that we remember the Lord's death, we proclaim the Lord's death, you know the, you know the rest, until he comes. That this is an ongoing sign of what we will be doing forever with the Lord. Not just eating a small piece of bread and some juice, but the book of Revelation says it will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a picture of that. And every time we come to this table, we come to Christ as our host and the presence of the Holy Spirit who says this is the promise for you. That just as we come to this table today, we will gather at that table then. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.